There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Uh, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great to be back with you again for yet another week with yet another fantastic guest. I'm so excited to introduce Teak to you today. Um, we're going to be talking about change. We're going to be talking about why it starts with us, why we all play a role in, in change and how we can all contribute through change to a better world. Uh, on my show uh, last week, um, I think my show last week, when I think about it, was with um, Chad Barr. Oh, it was a great conversation. We talked about ChatGPT and how can you utilize that tool to transform your business, transform your work. And there's a lot of reticence uh, around AI right now. We're all a bit nervous about it. And so was I when I first looked at ChatGPT. Uh, and yeah, there's some challenges with it. It's not always 100% accurate. However, it can be a way of elevating your thinking, giving you new ideas and new thoughts to, to explore uh, uh, rather than a, a tool for plagiarism and, uh, and getting it to do things for you. Um, but Ch Chad talked about um, the different options to use it last week and how it's really helped his business as one of the leading experts on content around the globe. Uh, and how after many, many years of writing blogs, just using using it to send check and come up with ideas, even his wife is now saying his blogs are better, which he says is his, uh, his toughest critic. But so have a, have a check that out, check that out if you're interested. Uh, it is something that's worthwhile having a play with. And I think what we have to do with change is sometimes it's a bit scary, but maybe sometimes we have to also check it out and see where maybe it can be useful, where it can be useful for good and where it can can contribute to a better world as you know that's what this show really is about it's about elevating our thinking it's about elevating our businesses and doing a business in a way that adds value to the world rather than takes away from it uh, and my guest today is uh, deke uh, copenhaver is well no exception to this he's got an amazing story we're gonna hear about his um his stories experiences uh in a in a moment um and uh, the question is you know are you stepping up right now are you challenging convention and the status quo are you becoming a catalyst for transformative change if you want to contribute to a better world and make your life count uh, then i think this conversation is going to be for you now deke had an exceptional reputation he was mayor of augusta uh, for three terms that's in georgia in the united states between 2005 and 2014 um, and he um he he built something really special there he was he was renowned for his focus on diversity, on inclusion, and his comprehensive approach to economic progress and neighborhood regeneration. Um, he, he did politics differently. He did politics, uh, I sense, in a kind way, in a caring way, and really contributed to a scenario where he was voted in again and again, and on his last um, occasion, 64%, uh, and he was loved by um, across the divide, um, so he really sought to uh, ensure that those divides, you know, came together in unity. Uh, he's today principal of Copenhagen Consulting LLC. He's a, an amazing keynote speaker, a leadership coach, 
Uh, he's the host of the Changemaker podcast, so do check that one out. And he's the author of Forbes books, Amazon number one bestseller, The Changemaker. And I was reading it last night on the train back from London. I'd just been speaking about uh, about energy and business, and, and I loved it. And, it, and you know, I was on a, a bit of a high from that session, uh, and I was starting to come down a bit after uh, a, you know a lot of work in front of uh, quite a lot of people. Uh, and uh, and it built me back up again. I got excited about change, excited about change making, and and some of the wisdom that he has from his experiences that um, that can help us. So I want to no more um, intro from me. Big welcome <laughs> to Deke Copenhaver. Chris, I will say thank you so much for having me, man. This is a pleasure. Uh, it's wonderful, wonderful to be with you and talking to you. And knowing <laughs> so far, I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. So I'm excited about today. And I know you, you're very happy to share this. And um, before we kind of move on, you, your, your voice is a little bit more croaky than, than um, it, it typically is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you might like to just share that up front for people to... Um, so, I know you, I know it's very inspiring. There's a yeah. story behind this, but Chris, I'm I'm happy to share that with your listeners. On April 19th, I was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. So, you know, I looked at it first. I think the first thought you have is, "Am I going to die?" But then I was like, "What can I do with this to help other people?" So, we participated in a cancer walk. We set as a goal to raise ten thousand dollars. We raised fifty three thousand dollars. And thank the Lord, but for your listeners, today marked my 24th of 28 radio radiation treatments. Tuesday was my fifth of five chemo treatments. No side effects. You know, my voice is terrible, but I feel great going to the gym every day. I usually go after my radiation treatment. So I told my nurses, I'm like, I'm giving new meaning to coming in hot. But it's just, you know, if I can use my situation to encourage and uplift other people, because cancer is a scary thing, you know, yeah. but it is, it's an equalizer. And when we talk about bridging gaps, it had, it discriminates against nobody. It impacts people from all walks of life all over the world. So to me, it's a connection point. I don't know anybody who through their family, a friend or a loved one has not had to deal with cancer in some way or their own diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. I mean, both my my parents had cancer, and and my father, my father did. Um, my mother is um, very proud to for thirty years to be a, a cancer survivor. Uh, she's um, re really proud of that. Um, and the treatments today are getting better and better, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we well, we wish you uh, well, and uh, you know, fantastic that you are able to be such an inspiration to people. Uh, and well done on all that money. Um, I'm sure that would be really helpful. Well, I'll tell you, the, the beautiful thing about that is that, so the Georgia Cancer Center that the monies went to, the total raise was over 116000 on a $75,000 goal. But they, I realize I'm very blessed and fortunate because I have access to the best care, but not everybody does. And a lot of what the Georgia Cancer Center does is provide world-class care to people who might otherwise not have access to it. So to know that those monies are really going to people that need the care the most, that might not, not have access, that, I mean, if that doesn't do your heart good, and I'm like, I think I'm right where God wants me to be at this moment. Yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And it's, it is so true, isn't it? Um, 
yeah, it uh, reaches reaches everybody, reaches every family really. Um, but if you're in a situation where you can't get that healthcare when you need it, it must be oh yeah, must be horrendous. I mean, we find the over here, you know, the United States system quite surprising. However, ours is now creaking at the uh, creaking at the seams. Yeah, you, you can you do get it and you can get it, but it takes a while um, unless you're prepared to pay for it. So it's a it's it's a challenge for for the world really. It, it is, but you know, there's so much good in the world. And I've met my wife and I loved going through chemotherapy because we made so many friends. And it's like my my wife is like the den mother. She brought snacks for everybody, but to be able to encourage people and say, "Look, we're in this together. You know, we're on equal footing here. Doesn't matter if I was mayor. Doesn't matter what I do in my life. We're shoulder to shoulder here, and I'm here with you." And I'm here to encourage you, to hug you, to, if you need a shoulder to cry on, but we are in this together and there's solidarity in that, which I love. And what's, and what's, what's it, is it like for you living in, you know, living where you do uh, today in in Augusta, because as the former mayor, you must be quite, you know, quite well known in your town and, uh, and your, your wife who you speak so fondly of. (laughs) <laughs> what's life like for you i chris i'm still so blessed and it's funny people would say you know being mayor is a thankless job i said it's really not because every day somebody comes up and thanks me for doing the job i do but i think it was because i never set myself above the people i served and i was always interacting with them and that's what i say about good leadership is not about putting yourself on a pedestal it's about interacting with the people you serve daily. But over eight years out of office, I still get that, I mean, that sea of goodwill that I worked on building is still there. And I would say leading through love and compassion created the scenario to where we were able to raise that much money in three weeks because that sea of goodwill is still there. And those bridges I had spent nine years building still exist, which to me, leading through love and compassion and through bringing people together is sustainable. You know, leading through fear and intimidation, you can get your desired outcome, but people are looking to knock you off your perch. So for me, just leading through love and compassion is the right thing to do. And that's a great example of it is sustainable. It stands the test of time. Yeah. And you moved was a, as a child, you moved from, from Canada. I believe you were born in yeah. Montreal. Uh, raised in Montreal. Well, what was it? What was that experience like for you moving to Augusta? Um, and where did this you know, interest in ultimately becoming a change maker, becoming a mayor, and uh, in your in your career today? What, what what was the what was the stimulus for all of that? Well, that is a great question, Chris. So yeah, I was born in Montreal, moved to Augusta when I was four years old, nineteen seventy one painfully shy kid with a thick Canadian accent moving to the deep South. And I tell people, you know, you want to feel like an outsider and feel like you don't fit in. I know what it's like to feel that way. But I think in retrospect, that always made me want to make people feel included and feel like they belong. So that really had a hand in the way that I, that I handled my time as mayor, but basically, so My life has sort of been spent when going where I see the need to be the greatest. So I was 37 years old. 
Augusta had a terrible reputation for our politics statewide. I'd gone through a program called Leadership Georgia, the oldest leadership program, statewide leadership program in the States. My graduation weekend in 2004, we had our third current or former elected official go under indictment. And so the then governor's chief of staff, who was a part of the program, said, what are you guys putting in the water in Augusta? And I'm like, I'm so competitive. I'm like, man, that's it. If a position comes available, I'm going to run for it. So our former mayor took another job. Um, so the position came available. So 37 years old, I just said, that's it, I'm in. And because I knew we needed new leadership. But I was actually taken into a back room by business leaders I knew and respect and still do. But I was told not to run, that I had not paid my dues, that, you know, older people wouldn't vote for me, black people wouldn't vote for me, younger people wouldn't vote for me because younger people didn't vote. And I just looked at him and I said, man, I'm running and I'm going to win whether you guys are in the race or not. <laughs> so youthful enthusiasm and naivete were a good thing, but I won in 2005 and then 2006 and 2010. But that's what being a change maker, so much of it, sometimes it's just doing what nobody else wants to do. You know, yeah. and people ask me when I announced I was running for mayor, why do you want to get mixed up in all that? I said, because I know that if nobody tries to change it, it's never going to change. And I studied city to city, di I mean, city dynamics and demographics. So Augusta at that point in time was losing population and losing um, our tax base was eroding. And so extrapolated over time, if nobody does an intervention, you know, the, the economics of that are terrible for a city. But so I kind of just staged by an intervention and it worked out. Yeah. And, and just to give people a feel, because we're, this show is accessed in, in typically about 50 countries each month. Yeah. Um, and we look at the the numbers. So, you know, Augusta, um, just give us a little idea of the scale of Augusta and its uh, yep. demographic. It's, um, a little over 200,000 residents. It is the second largest city in the state of Georgia. In our MSA, our Metropolitan Statistical Area, there are about 650,000 residents. So people think of Augusta as a small town, and they usually think of the Masters, obviously, great golf yeah. tournament, but it's really not as much of a small town as people think. Yeah, yeah. And what was it? What was it like running, running for mayor? I mean, it does sound like it's very, it is very competitive. So it sounds like that suited, suited you. Um, but it's interesting that sometimes uh, I, you know, kind of a, it's easy to associate politicians with kind of you know ego and wanting the power. But it seems yeah. to me that you want to, you you were a man on a mission because you wanted to change the way politics were done. Well, Chris, it's funny because we talk about energy. You and I have spoken about energy. But so my campaign in 2005 was basically a group of 20 and 30-something years old that knew nothing about politics. But we brought this great positive energy, which was contagious and which I think drew people in. So that energy helped propel us forward. But no, I, I had no interest in a career in politics. I'm happily independent, so I didn't want to use it as a springboard to another office, but I was just committed 
to serving my community. And that's to me what, you know, elected office should be about. And unfortunately, you know, in the States, in the UK, most places have gotten away from the idea of public service. But to me, that is what elected office is about. You're there to serve the needs of your constituent above your own needs. But so often, you know, we see politicians oftentimes serving the needs of their political party or special interest groups above the greater good of the people they're sworn to serve. So I wish, you know, whether it be in the UK, worldwide, the US, we could get back to the idea and spirit of public service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's so important, doing it for the right reasons. It, it is. And, you know, it's funny. People talk about, well, what was the most difficult thing about it? And I said, one thing I didn't anticipate was, so after I got elected, I'm like, how do people that have never met me hate me? When they, you know, they don't even know me. But we make assumptions. So people assumed, because I was elected to office, that I was your typical politician. But after nine years in office and engaging for nine years at the grassroots level, I think people realized that I was in it for the right reasons. But I understand, you know, there's a reason why politicians have a bad reputation because we see a lot of bad actors. Not everybody. I mean, there are a lot of people that do it for the right reasons. But I think, too, it's the mainstream media reports more on the ones that are misbehaving as opposed to the ones that are really in it for the right reasons doing their job. True. Yeah. Yeah. Deke, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm going to just go for one break today. If it's okay with you, if the voice can, can hold out. So I'd like to keep on. Oh, yeah. We got keep, it, man. I'd like to keep on going. Um, because that's really interesting, isn't it? You, you're talking there about people, the minority and majority. And in your book, you talk about that. You talk about um, you know, this small, this small percentage of people are on the periphery. Uh, and politicians often aim at them uh, and they use those certain topics, two or three topics that are maybe quite uh, uh, quite divisive to yeah. focus on rather than focus on what the majority need. That That is true. And that's, that is the most frustrating thing to me. And I will say when I hear politicians say, I fought against this, I fought against that, I fought against that. I'm like, well, what did you fight for? You know, what did you accomplish? And leadership is about making, you know, we've mistaken, I think sometimes we think bullying is leadership, that catering to the vocal minority and placating them is not leadership. You know, leadership is about bringing people together on common ground, making them feel safe and secure and that their voices are heard. But it is so often politicians cater to the vocal minority because they think, that that's prevailing public opinion when it's really not. You know, I think I see society as a bell curve and the majority of people are somewhere in the middle, you know, center right, center left. But the main thing that we see in the mainstream media and social media and in politics are the extremes, which is to me, honestly, I interact people with people at the grassroots level here and abroad where they live. You know, it might be in a pub and a restaurant, I'm not going to political rallies, but I don't find a lot of extremists. You know, most people just want to see their country move forward and prosper. And 
you know, they value their neighbors. So that's the vibe I try to tap into. Yeah. One, one of the, I think I mentioned to you, I have this community call, the, that's, that's evolving, called the Elevation Collective, who are past, past, a lot of the past show guests who are, who are doing amazing work and wanting to contribute to a better world. And one of them, there's an interview with Libby Wagner, who's a, uh, she's a, a great poet and leadership expert, lovely person. And she was so frustrated by the politics in the United States. She she decided to take off on her own and do a trip across America in, on her own in a camper van just to meet people yeah. uh, and and get a sense where people really like the politicians were making out. And you know, everywhere she went, she met lovely people, uh, had lovely conversations, uh, you know, lots of different varieties of uh, of, of people, um, but met so much kindness along the road and you realize that this narrative that gets built up is is done for political means not and it's not the reality it, it truly is and chris i'll give you a great example in 2020 i was invited to speak at the university of texas el paso i had never been to el paso and so i'm thinking and that was at the height of the border issues during the trump administration but i'm thinking well it's a border town it's going to be dangerous and all this so i first thing when I get to El Paso, I ask my Uber driver, what's it like living in a border town? He's like, oh my gosh, we love it. You know, it's so wonderful. We have friends and family across the border in Juarez. It's just a wonderful family place. So that immediately I'm like, well, that's not what I'm seeing in the media. So we think of El Paso being dangerous. Three years in a row, it was named the safest city of 500,000 residents or more in the United States to live in. Wow. And so, but I'm like half a mile from the border crossing. A friend calls me and he's like, where are you? I said, I'm in El Paso. I'm half a mile from the border. Well, man, don't get kidnapped. So he was actually watching the yeah. same meteor reports as me. The people were lovely, but, but they talked to me about that impression nationally that is dangerous being a border community, it hurts their tourism and economic development efforts. So bad politics and characterizing, you know, border cities a certain way to benefit yourself politically are hurting the people of that city, whether you know it or not. Yeah. You'll be so, uh, so careful with the, with the media, with, with what you read. In the, in the news today, because you yeah. just read the, the headlines all the times talking about the extremes, the small, the tiny fractions of percentages of things where things go wrong, people do bad things, and you don't get the, the overall perspective. And we lose that perspective. We start to believe that the world is this minority. Well, it's interesting, and I know we'll get into Starts With Us, the nonprofit I'm a um, movement partner with, but we actually did a study back several months ago on the midterm elections here in the States with George Washington University. And what the study found was that hyper-partisan politicians on either side of the spectrum received four times more coverage leading up to the midterm elections than the politicians in both parties that were working in bipartisan fashion. Right. So I live in Georgia, you know, a name that many people, not just in the States, but worldwide may have heard the name Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is probably the most partisan person in Congress. She receives 10 times more coverage than any other person in Congress. Mm -hmm. So here again, 
the people that are trying to do the right thing, they're just not getting the coverage. And I, I understand that the controversial stuff and the hyperpartisan stuff, really, they're going to cover that. But why not take a little more time to cover the people trying to do the right thing? I just think that's fair. Yeah. So when you just, you just use words, was it bipartisan or partisan? Bipartisan. Uh, bipartisan, yeah. Um, do you understand the with that? People working across party lines. Right. Yeah, and, and say they get more or less coverage. Get they get more coverage. They get far less. Far less. Sorry, yeah, because they like they get, you when independent. Yeah, so yeah. It's, they get four times less than hyperpartisan right. controversial. Yeah, yeah, uh, interest interesting. Um, but actually, you 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 um you got through as an independent, which I is, got through as an independent. But yeah. I'll tell you, Chris, a beautiful thing to me is that here in Georgia in the states, all local elections are nonpartisan. So you don't have to declare a party. Okay. So I thought, but unfortunately what you see often happen is mayors will go to one party or the other because they're using it as a stepping stone to a higher office. But I thought, you know, I'm happily independent. Why would I want to alienate a good percentage of the people I serve by going with one party or the other? So, and I've shared with people, nine years in office, no call that I ever got with somebody, a constituent having an issue, I was never once, not once in nine years, asked what my political party was because they just wanted their problem solved. Yeah. And I think that's what should be sort of the role of government and elected officials. You're there to solve problems. And if you can't work with the other side, you know, Problem solving can't be done effectively by one side or the other. It takes both sides working together. Yeah. 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 So it, it almost seems like, um, you know, you, being, being an independent to some people is almost perceived as being disruptive if you're not aligned to a party. Um, is, is it, um, interest, interestingly, I'll just start the word um anarchist came to mind no it's probably not <laughs> no, well, but uh, it, i i kind of associate that word slightly with you we've got a couple of minutes do you want to <laughs> your love of oh, punk you, rock music and how that you relates know, I, I love punk rock and <laughs> anarchy in the uk the sex pistols <laughs> but I, I would say it's not anger it's not really anarchy it's rebellious yes. and i think it's rebellious we have to to be a change maker you have to be rebellious and willing to challenge the status quo. But I also know, Chris, there are a lot of individuals and organizations that profit by keeping the status quo in place and off of the division that we see. So when you challenge that, you're a threat. So yes, I was a threat to the status quo. Hey, but it worked out, it was what the people wanted. So I'm good with that. I love challenging authority and continue to do it. But it's, you know, that because we have to push the envelope to get change has to come through friction. You know, that's just a fact. And you know, I think you can do it reverently. I love British humor. I think British humor is irreverent without being offensive. Love Monty Python. But uh, so I like to come off on the irreverent, not offensive tip, but still rebellious to my core. I have been since I was a kid. Wonderful. We've got a minute to commercial break. We're going to talk about uh, change and change making 
after the break and being one. If you were to define being a change maker before we, the break, what would you say it is? It's being unafraid to take a leap of faith in the value of a good cause. You know, that's somebody's got to, you've got to go out on a limb. But if it's a just and noble cause, don't be afraid to take the leap of faith. Love it. Fantastic. Well, we're going to uh, come back after the commercial break. We'll find out. Um, uh, we'll find out more about some of the attributes of change making. I want to find out about. Um, it starts with us, and what that's what that's all about. So we'll, we'll talk about that and some some thoughts and ideas about being a, a change maker and dealing with dealing with things when you know you identified that change has to come via friction. Uh, yeah. When when there is friction. Uh, and I know, you know, in your instance, you know, friction was things like, you know, major storms happening, but also yes. friction on our own lives because, um, you know, lives, you know, you describe in your book um, that, you know, we all, we all, um, you know, our lives all have uh, loss and grief and adversity. It's a, just, it's a part of life. Um, it, it happens to us all. So how do you deal with being a change maker and taking that leap of faith when actually, other parts of your life might be, you know, losing a, yeah. you know, losing a leg or feeling unsteady, um, you know, as you're experiencing with your treatment at the moment, and uh, uh, and as we all do from time to time with suffering with loss and things like that. So we'll, we'll go into that after the break. Back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Do join us soon. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out SayItSkillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, uh, with uh, Deke, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Harbour, um, and... <laughs> Copenhagen, Copenhagen, like Copenhagen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, Deke, I well, just just before we um, we go into change making, tell us a little bit about it starts with us because um, that's in the title of this interview today. Change it starts with us. What is the the movement? It starts with us that you're you know you're heavily involved with today and uh, uh, kind of a, you know an ambassador for. What is that all about? Why is it important right now? And then let's have a think then about what is change making um, yeah. and who can be a change maker and how do we go about it? But tell us about it. it starts with us. I'm so happy to talk about that, Chris. So starts with us and for your listeners, starts with .us is the website. It's a national nonprofit and movement started here in the States in December of 2021 by Daniel Lebetsky, who is the founder of Kind Snacks. So, it's basically the premise is so change and to get our nation away from extreme polarization and tribalism starts with each of us individually. You know, if each of us individually can commit to treating each other with compassion, curiosity, and courage to have the difficult conversations, how can we start to change things at the grassroots level? But it's interesting, and we've sort of discussed the mainstream media. So I became a founding partner, a movement partner, a little over a year ago. But our founders, the first ones, went to the mainstream media and pitched the idea to them. The response was, empathy doesn't sell, and the American people aren't concerned with curiosity, compassion, and courage. Flash forward to you know a year and a half or so, we have over a million connections across all social media platforms. So this is a movement that is growing. So we did a study a little over a year ago that showed that 87% of Americans, we did it with YouGov, are tired of hyperpolarization. And you throw that statistic out there and somebody said, yeah, and the other 13% are lying. But I think people are just so ready to come together and tired of this toxic political situation we're seeing nationally, I see this movement growing, and I'm hoping we can take it international as well, but it has been so heartwarming to see people from all walks of life, you know, all over our nation join this movement, and it's kind of like when I ran for office. I thought, well, if I provide an alternative to the status quo or politics as usual, People will go to that. Starts With Us is providing that alternative and providing a forum where people from different backgrounds, different walks of life can come together to say, how do we work together across all perceived lines to address the big picture problems that are facing our nation? And I will tell you, I believe in Daniel Lebetsky so much in 2001, he said 2002, he started a nonprofit in the Middle East called the One Voice Movement. 
So the premise behind this nonprofit was to bring together moderate Israelis and Palestinians to discuss how do we establish a peaceful Israel and a Palestinian state. So obvious people are like, that's never going to work in the Middle East. So he went to the Palestinian leadership first. They said, we'll sign on. You'll never get the Israelis. So he went to the Israelis. The Israelis said, we'll sign on. You'll never get the Palestinians. So flash forward 21 years, there are 750,000 people in the Middle East that signed on to this movement. But how many people actually know about it? Because what you generally see in the mainstream media is just all the fighting in the Middle East. But right. I've shared with Daniel, if you've got the wherewithal to stay in that for over two decades, when the Middle East problems are more deep-seated than what we've got in the U.S. or the U.K. for that matter, I'm on board. But I believe that we can change it. I believe that our nation, your nation, are ready for something different than the politics that just demonize the other party. I think you make you make a really interesting point there about change, you know, being about friction. Uh, and there's so much friction right now going on around the globe. And, and certainly, you know, the media makes that can make that seem even even worse. But actually, the good news around that is friction can yield positive change and maybe it's time it's uh it's like a time where we're in this winter of uh, of lots of uh, change and people kind of working out a new way uh, and what it's lovely is that um you know there is a majority out there who do care about courage and, and compassion and uh and and do do care um and movements like yours are you know are starting to come forward um, to push that message for for positive change, um, well, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of hope right now too. I think we can't, can't we can't miss out on the hope. There there is, and I think good leadership is about providing people hope. And I know so many people in in the U.S. that just look at the situation politically, the hyper partisanship, polarization. They throw up their hands. They say this is just what we've got, and this is the way it's going to be. Mm. And I'm like, no. You know, let me show you, shine a light on something different that's going on here that you might not be seeing in the mainstream media. But it is a movement. And, you know, you and I are both big music fans. I, I think music is a great unifier. When you go to a Def Leppard concert, because I know you're a big fan, or Guns N' Roses Tribute Act, you, know, <laughs> you go to a concert, when somebody goes to a Taylor Swift concert, I mean, Taylor Swift is bringing all these kids together that might feel like disaffected youth, but they feel like they fit in and they belong with her. Yeah. So we see these shows of unity and positivity, but it's out there, but we just need to focus on it and look for it. And I tell people, I'm just an old hippie at heart. I'm just trying to find all these tribes and unite them. But that's, that's what your show is doing. But I'll tell you, Chris, too, I look at it, I mean, look at polarization from a very business standpoint. So I mentioned earlier that there are individuals and organizations and frankly businesses that profit off of division. So if you're introducing an alternative into the equation, 
and you're giving platforms to people where they can go and they feel like they have a safe place to have conversations, they can be around like-minded people, you're effectively cutting in to the margins and the market share of the people that profit off of keeping us divided. Yeah. So here again, these movements are a threat to the status quo. So I expect to be targeted. I go in thinking that, that when these start to take off, you're taking market share away from people that profit off the extremes. That's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. I guess we've, we've seen that for, it's been happening for centuries, hasn't it? It has been. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example here in the States. So I've been dealing with the leadership of the forward party, which is a new party that's been introduced by Christine Todd Whitmire, former Republican governor of New Jersey, and Andrew Yang, former Democratic candidate for president. But so it's a third party. So they're trying to get on the ballot in all 50 states going into the election, you know, upcoming presidential election. Both parties are fighting to keep them off of the ballot because they have a monopoly on the political situation. So if you have a viable third party, it takes away from their, their power and their market share. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of self-interest. There's a lot, there's a lot to work on. Uh, and, and that's um, hyperpolarization. That's something I've not, uh, a term I've not heard before um, that I want to really stick in my, in my, in my mind um, because uh, yeah, it, it, it explains in one word um, where we might be heading and where we need to move away from. It does, but it's, you know, I, so I mean, you'll appreciate this, Chris. I grew up a kid who loved comic books. And so I grew up always thinking that in the end, the good guys win. Yeah. I'm 55 years old. I still believe that in the end, the good guys win. And, you know, I saw it happen here in Augusta. You know, I never went negative. I never talked bad about my opponents. I ran, you know, on a positive platform, growing businesses, building the community, and it worked for nine years here. So I know it can work. But just people need those alternatives because, you know, I get how people feel hopeless and feeling hopeless is an awful situation to be in. You know, I'm dealing with my own cancer. I've come across people that are hopeless in that situation. But if I can provide them hope and light and energy, you know, how great of a blessing is that? But it comes from being that kid that, you know, thought, Superheroes and the good guy always won in the end. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, I suppose um, you know what you started making me think too about is uh, is the hero's journey and you know and uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars and, and oh, like yeah. going through the ups and ups and downs and falling into an abyss and then uh, coming back out again. And you certainly had that in your story. Um, your, your book talks about, you know, you're suddenly losing your wife and your, your mom yeah. before you were 30. And, uh, and, uh, you know, you have, uh, have been through that journey of ups and downs and you learn on those downs that enable you to be stronger on the ups. I think you, or you can choose to, if you don't, you, you go down the, the down the abyss, but there is a, 
you know, there is an opportunity and a gift in these challenges. There, there really is. And, you know, that's what I would share with your listeners. And whether it's in business or whether it's in life, you're going to fail. You're going to face adversity. As you mentioned, I lost my first wife to suicide when I was 29 years old. I lost my mother to cancer um, a week after my 25th birthday. But, and there were times, you know, to be a widower and to lose, you know, the lady that raised you that you're so close to by the time you're 30, I had doubts. You know, I had doubts and fears in my mind. I'm like, I don't know that I can get through this. But weathering the storm is great on a lot of fronts because when you weather those storms, you can help other people weather their own. And there's nobody, you know, we're all impacted by the human condition. You know, that's nobody comes through unscathed. And, you know, I, I guarantee you, is there's a great old saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. So life does not go according to plan. But, you know, if you're willing to pivot and adjust and maintain a positive attitude, there's nothing you can't get through. Yeah, there's always an opportunity for a, a complete surprise. You, you, so you, let's let's assume that people listening to this and they they have a you know a really worthy goal or ideal that's gonna you know potentially contribute to um, changing the world in a in a really good way. And what do you think are the key? I think you identify seven in your book. What are the key attributes for a great change maker? Uh, you know, maybe we probably can't go through all seven now, but you know, no. what's, what's two or three favorites. What what um. I will tell you, one of my favorites is creativity. Because so I grew up with an arts-based education. I grew up writing and painting. I use that so you don't look at things through the arts as either or. You know, it teaches you creative problem solving. So creativity is so important, you know, and just don't get, I mean, it's either I fail or I succeed. Don't put that ultimatum on you. You know, there are shades of gray in everything. So bring your creativity to the problem you're trying to solve. And that's that's where great innovation comes from, is you identify a problem in the world and you try to solve it. Yeah. I mean, that's where change from comes from. Fortunes are made in that way. I would say listening <clears throat> to is key, but I would say a caveat with that. You need to listen to people and take advice, but don't, when people tell you, and you're always going to have naysayers, and a lot of the time it's people that want to protect you. Oh, you can't do this. You don't want to take this leap of faith. You know, that's asking too much of you. So yeah. a lot of times people try to protect you through that. Listen in that situation politely, but have the courage to take the leap of faith. And then that final one is just courage in, inside, in and of itself. You know, addressing change is not easy. I tell people I get in the States, and it's probably the same in the UK and around the world. There's a reason why people don't want to speak out against the status quo. Because if you do, the extremes on either end are going to attack you. Yeah. We're going against the status quo. And the idea of most people, well, if I use my voice... I'm automatically going to get attacked and probably not just by one side, but by two sides. 
that's, you know, that's not a very encouraging thing, but have the courage to use your voice and to know that more than likely, if you're creating friction, you're going to be attacked in some way, shape, or form. But I would also say, if you stay to the high ground, it makes you a much harder target to hit. So keep it to the high ground as best as you can. Don't get it down, you know, in the buck and mire. Keep it to the high ground. Mm, yeah. Good, good, good advice there. And, uh, you know, you, the, de- the danger is you, uh, you can be very put off, can't you, by the, those minorities uh, and their view. And you, you talk about in your book there about, um, you know, minorities sometimes really kind of going in hard with you and you have to be very smart and clever with them, not, not giving them too much sway in terms of your, your mental view and opinion, but you, uh, well, and then there's a, a good point I'd like to make about that. If it's, as I say, I don't live my life in a silo. So I'm out there at the grassroots level, engaging people every day. So if you do that as a leader, you can really see what prevailing public opinion is. You know, if you're in a silo, then you're not out there engaging with people at the grassroots level, whether it's in your business, you know, any leadership role, there can be a tendency to think that that the vocal minority are prevailing public opinion, but that puts you off base completely. And that's a dangerous spot to be in because I tell people, it's kind of like if we constantly give in the vocal minority, I'm not a parent. I have lots of, um, nieces and nephews, great nieces and nephews. But I say, how would you, you know, if you raised a child by always giving in to them when they threw temper tantrums, what kind of a child would you raise? What kind of a business are you going to grow if you just constantly give in to the vocal minority or what kind of a community are you going to build? You know, that's not, you're not doing what's in the greater good of the majority of the people you serve in your business, in your community, if you constantly give, you know, give in to the vocal minority. It's just, you've got to focus on the the majority and focus on the greater good. Yeah, yeah. I just, just to give an example from last week, I was looking at feedback from, um, from with a customer from a, um, an event that we put on. Uh, and uh, for the for the for their company, and there was lots of amazing, good, great feedback. It was it was absolutely wonderful, and they were uh, delighted. But there was one comment on there, on the feedback from one person who who said, "Yeah, it was it was it was quite good." But you know, I think the staff felt that um, you know the money could have been better spent uh, in their pay packets, you know, or taking them out to a pub rather than spending in, spending that on a day. Well, um, they 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 talked as though it um, was a universal quantify that everybody felt like that but from everybody nobody um, feedback everybody else thought it was brilliant and a great use of money so that one person tried to suggest that um there was a prevailing thought um when actually they were absolutely in the minority you know it's interesting that you say that chris so i have a young man that i mentor his name is manu meal he's the ceo of a bridging organization here called bridge usa 24 years old they're actually so it's building bridges on college campuses. They're on 60 campuses in the States. There's also a chapter of Bridge US, of Bridge Europe and Bridge Africa. But he went to Berkeley and he told me he was in a class one time and the professor, somebody from the far right, which you don't assume there are a lot of far 
white kids at Berkeley, but there are, but just went off on the professor. And then another student who had a far left point of view went off on the professor as well. No other student in the classroom said anything. After the class, they discussed it, and neither of them, none of the other classmates, agreed with the extreme points of view, but they were afraid to voice their own opinion. Yeah. But so it's sort of a similar situation that people with extreme views, they've got no problem voicing their opinion, but people that are more moderate, you know, might not be as willing to voice their opinion. Yeah. And maybe it's time that actually that changed. And that's a message I think I take that actually, you know, being a change maker, we can all actually be a change maker, can't we? And, and, and all look to have a worthy goal or ideal and pursue it. Um, but it does require us to step up and have that courage that you talked about. Um, it, and maybe it's just time that we did. It did does, but it's, you know, I'm here as proof positive. I mean, I've taken the hits. I've been through adversity. I'm still a very happy and well-adjusted person. And what you start to see when, and a lot of this stuff, why not the seeds that I've planted might not happen in my lifetime. And I'm cool with that. But when you do see some of those seeds at the least come to fruition, it makes every battle, it makes every hardship, it makes every attempt at overcoming adversity worth it. It's just to see fruits fruits come to fruition and to know that you had a hand in helping to make that happen is the coolest, most fulfilling feeling in the world. So if you haven't tried it for your listeners, try it. I guarantee you'll love it. Fantastic. And we haven't even talked about the, the movies you've been in or Sandra Bullock, <laughs> your campaign T-shirt, which must have been uh, must have been um, wonderful um, to see too. Um, now, just very quickly, um, if you, you, you now, how do you help people now? And um, you know, who's the the kind of person that you like to support? We've got about a minute to left to wrap up. You know, I do leadership coaching. I do CEOs. I do, um, as you said, I do keynote speaking. I do mentoring. You know, I, I want to help as many people as I can. I mean, if you've got a group that you need, that you want me to speak to, I'm happy to do that. If you need a coach, I'm happy to do that. I just, I want to be a change agent and plugged in wherever nationally and globally I can be. And to be an encourager to people, to let them know that you can be a part of positive change. I'm a witness to that. But, and I can help you be a part of that too. And I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here to strengthen you in whatever your goals are. Fantastic. And um, just um, about 10 seconds, final message you'd like to leave us with? It just have hope. The world can look dark at times. There is so much good in the world. Do not you know, develop a bad attitude or be turned off by the darkness because there's much more light than there is darkness. Find the people that are focused on the light. They're out there. Chris and I will show them to you and bring them to you. Fantastic. fantastic. Wonderful. I, I, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Absolutely loved it, uh, Deke. Um, love to get you back on the show again as well sometime. Um, just so much to think about. Um, do check out Start With Us. Do also check out Copenhaverconsulting.com. Is that is it Copenhaver Consulting.com? Yep. And yeah. Deke-Copenhaver.com. Yeah. And Deke. Google yeah. me. I'm the only one out there. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Br brilliant talking to you. Uh, on next week's show, I'm having a little holiday next week. So we're gonna gonna have Dov Barron back on the show um talking about the emotional code because that interview went down really well. So uh, I want to say thank you to uh, Dov for introducing uh, Deke to me as well. Uh, and yes, whatever you're doing out there, do consider how you can contribute to a better world. Is it time that you've stepped up and became a change maker? Is there something important? But don't forget that we need to help uh, ensure that the majority, um, their lives improve through the work that we do. Um, so, Deke, uh, once again, a huge thank you. Thank you to everybody for listening. Any questions or uh, comments, do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Do feel free to link in with me, but let me know where, let me know where you've got my name from. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you can check and um, connect in with uh, Deke as well. Take care, everybody, and go out there, contribute to better lives through your work. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. 